Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. Don't forget to tune in to us every night from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time on Sirius XM, The Patriot, where I'm holding it down at night as well. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Melissa McKenzie. She is the publisher of The American Spectator. She works and lives in Houston, Texas with her two sons, one daughter and one dog. (laughs) Melissa, thanks for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. I appreciate it. So I'm excited to talk about our subject matter today, which is something that's super important to moms and families. And that is this new phenomenon of women leaving the workforce because of the pandemic. And now they're trying to make decisions about whether or not they're coming back. Well, you know, the political article that we're talking about here, you know, really kind of made it seem like a bad thing. Even though the main protagonist of their first story that they shared said that her life was better with her staying at home full time. And anecdotally, I've seen this quite a bit amongst the women that I know, people who are deciding to stay home with their families and make a different choice. Um, and, the, you know, the pandemic kind of clarified their life and they're happier. And before this, you know, in the search of the data on this, 65% of working women who are mothers were unhappy with working um, and would prefer to stay home if they could afford it. And I think through the pandemic, some of the women losing their jobs or they couldn't do their outside jobs because they're teaching their kids found out that they could afford it and are finding that their life is better at home with their families. So I got to tell you, Melissa, this is something that I figured out a long time ago before I had a career doing any of this stuff. And that was that we would actually save money if I stayed home because I wasn't earning a lot anyway. I was, you know, kind of just getting started after I separated from the military. And the option was to kind of drive my husband's career and I would drive the family. So, you know, we we had our first child and I did go back to work and I lasted two weeks. She was um, in the daycare that I'd chosen for her. They did not understand what to do with the breast milk and the cost of the daycare and gas and everything else that I was paying was basically like eating up my whole paycheck. And so after two weeks, I just, I sat down and I ran all the numbers one more time. And I said, you know, we'll have to clip coupons. We're not eating out anymore, but I would really love to stay home with this baby. And my husband didn't even balk. He said, yep, let's do it. it. It seems like it makes much more sense than having her spend 55 minutes every other hour crying at daycare all day. She could be home with you. He said, you just won't be buying any you know, clothes and all that stuff. I said, oh, I, I, the numbers here do not include clothes, shoes, any, any of that new stuff. But we can actually balance our budget if I stay home. And it was the best decision we ever made. I feel the same way. I'm trained also, besides being publisher of the American Spectator, as a chiropractor. And, and so... I saw a patient, and I remember one day when my children were young, I was helping this mother and this family, and I was like, I should be at home with my helping my own kid. And the relief and the relaxation and everything else, being at home. Now, I'll say this, being a stay-at-home mom, I feel is more challenging than any other profession I've ever had, whether it's publisher or doctor or whatever, as far as just like the weight of the responsibility and the challenges inherent in it, but you can't get that time back. You know, you and I, before the start, we're talking about our kids growing up and it goes by so quickly. And here we are both working um, mothers. So just because a woman takes a break at 
to take care of her children at one point in one stage of her life doesn't mean that she'll never work again. And I sometimes think that gets forgotten in this conversation about what women should be doing with their life. Yeah. I mean, so I actually remember uh, partway through when my kids were in school, I was taking some class at the community college and this lady that I was uh, kind of temping for, it was a part of the classes I was taking. And she said, uh, what do you plan to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, I'm taking these classes, but I'm I'm kind of a full-time stay-at-home mom. She said, oh, that's perfect because you're taking classes during the day. And by the time your kids get home, you're back at home. I said, yeah. Um, I said, how did you get to where you are? And she was like, well, stayed home with my kids for 25 years until the last one was pretty much, you know, in college, almost finished. And she said, then I decided I wanted to go back to work. And a friend of mine does what I do now. And so I went back to school and got a little certification in this. And now I'm doing this. And she was at the top of her field, like the only person in the building who was doing her job. And she said, I think you're on the right path. Because if you keep, you know, taking classes or, uh, you know, kind of temping, doing things, kind of exploring, by the time your kids leave the house, you'll have something to do that will take up all of your time. But she said, right now, they really need you at home, even though they're in school. And I felt so validated because she was so successful. And uh, I really held on to that through the rest of the time that I was staying home. And as you know, when I first met you years ago, I was doing, you know, blogging and going on people's podcasts and stuff, but all from home while my kids were in school during the day. And then right after school, I was back to full time momming it, picking them up, driving them everywhere and doing all the stuff. And it has really worked well. It's it's really up to us what we make of this situation and the pressure that women feel to be full-time career women instead of moms is artificial, but it can be very real when you're in the throes of it if you don't have anyone to support you. Oh, that's absolutely true. And to your point about being validated by other women, there was a, one of the sacrifices, I don't really view it as a sacrifice, but one of the choices we made, of course, because we were a single-income family, we didn't have as big of a house. We didn't go out to eat. We didn't always have two cars. Literally, when we first started, we didn't have much furniture. <laughs> and and that was a choice that we made. But I don't regret it for a minute because I could be at home with my children. And I think the dividends pay off long term. And thankfully, thank God, not everybody has this choice. But I did have this choice. And one day, uh, one of the neighbors, she was an engineer, was you know kind of haughty and, and came over and said to me, maybe I could have my nanny, um, you know, have our kids play with your kids. And I didn't take anything, you know, negative from that. But then she got one of my pieces of mail one time and, and it said Dr. Melissa in my name. And she got it in the mail and she brought it over and she's like, you're a doctor? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and she was, she was like, oh. And then we actually had an honest discussion. And I said, well, I really want to be with my children. This is a time that I can't get back. And then she finally broke down and said, well, I would really like to stay home. But my husband and I just bought this new Cherokee. And I was like, what? A truck? <laughs> a truck. Like, it was like, for her, this, like, SUV. And I was, and my facial expression, because I'm not very good at a poker face, must have been like, what? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, we have to work. I have to work so we can pay for this vehicle. And I was like, that's just silly, you know? Because they sell car used cars. Right. They they yeah. sell used cars that you can buy. Wow. And who cares about that? But, you know, when, 
she came up to me later and we discussed it and she quit her job and took care of her kids, started substitute teaching in some science classes, loved it. But to your point, she needed some external validation because what she was getting from everyone else in her life was that she wasn't a good feminist. She wasn't really living up to her potential. And this is something that really bothers me is this idea that a woman who chooses to mother her children full time isn't using her full potential. Any mother who's doing that work knows that you kind of have to be everything to be a mother (laughs) and there's no other job like it anyway. Yeah, no, there's, but the other thing is, so you don't hear people saying, oh my goodness, I regret not doing a career while I was staying home with my kids, right? You hear people say all the time, I should have spent more time with my kids or I should have, um, I should have been there more. You know, the people have lots of regrets when it comes to work, right? They, they regret working during times they could have been with their family. People don't regret being with their family during times that they could have been working some job for a car or something like that. I remember us not going, going on vacation for some years um, it was just, we would go stay with my family down in Tennessee, you know, and it, it was like a vacation for the kids because they got to see cousins and they just assumed vacationing meant staying with family. You know, we'd go to Kentucky and stay with my aunts and uncles there. And my husband and I were just kind of burnt out because that kind of vacation just means going someplace and spending time with your family. So you're still on the job. You're not really relaxing. Um, so the first year we went on vacation to Florida and it was just it was so relaxing. We went for a whole week. We stayed in a condo on the beach. The kids had a great time. And I told them, I said, we have to keep doing this because it feels like we regained our sanity just that week on the beach with nothing to do. And so we started doing that, but it took time to get there because I wasn't working without that second income to kind of boost you over the top. You just have to be more careful, but I still don't regret all of the time I spent volunteering in my kids' classrooms, knowing their teachers, going on the field trips, stuff that I couldn't have done if I was working full time back then. Yeah. And, and those, those intangibles are the things. Like, those are the things. Even now, my son is in high school, and my job, because I, I work from home, but the beauty of that is, is he knows when he calls or he texts me or he needs something, I'm here. And that kind of security is a luxury, really, which is why so many women would like it. And the problem that I have with kind of this political article and, and feminism in general is that most of this idea is that um, working outside of the home is a better choice than using women's potential. Well, most women who are working, who have to work, are not writers for Politico. They are, you know, doing jobs that in, in the service industry where they're not very well paid and they still have to be away from their children. One thing I was so thrilled about is I'm... One of my dear friends owns a home and business cleaning company, and that kind of went to pot through COVID, and she had a crew of 10 people, mostly women, so she had to really dial back her job because most people weren't having anybody into the the businesses were closed and homes were as well. And since she started back, she's had trouble getting workers. And of the women, she said more than half of them, six of them who work for her, 
had a conversation with their husbands and going through the COVID and whatever, realized that their families could make it. They weren't sure beforehand, but now they knew that they could. And they were staying at home with their families because the family life was better. And I really hope I'm sounding very much like a child of the 80s, which is what I am, <laughs> where, you know, <laughs> where every where most of the women in the neighborhood were home. Mm-hmm. Um, it made for safer communities. It made for safer children. It made for uh, more secure children, because when the women are home in the houses and the children are roaming the neighborhood, they're still quasi being supervised. They are. Throughout. And so the children have more, right? They have more freedom. And my daughter and I were watching Stranger Things the first season, and she's like, was it like this for you? She was watching the kids just jump on their bikes and, you know, not get home till dark. And I was like, yes. And she's like, you guys had so much freedom. And it would be nice for America's children to have the security of a mom at home and that freedom. So I'm not, I don't know that we need to be, you know, putting this in such a dark light like Politico did. Well, so Melissa, can I just say there's another unintended benefit that people are really, they're waking up to it, but it has been completely covered over. Like it's underneath a, like a metric ton of that uh, white gravel that people use on commercial driveways. It's so covered up. But the fact is our public schools would not be engaged in teaching kids about LGBT sex and abortion and these graphic novels showing children bent over, showing their their private parts and uh, the the masturbation scenes. All of this disgustingness that's going on in schools happens because moms are in the corporate world or they're in retail or there's someplace, they're any place but at home. When I was with our kids when they were smaller, there was no chance for a teacher to put a book like that in front of my child because I was in the classroom so much. Uh, And I don't mean like just, you know, pick up. I mean, during the day, I would be in the building popping in to do something as a volunteer. And I remember getting roped into doing a copy committee one time. And it was I wasn't on the copy committee, but the lady who was supposed to be there couldn't be there for a sick kid. The teacher was like, I need all these copies made. She had like a pile. And she said, I need to get back in the classroom. I don't have a TA. I'm just walking down the hallway. She said, Stacy. What are you doing? I said, I, I'm, I'm on my way out. What do you need? She said, I, I need copies. And she said, the copy committee, she's not here. And, and she said, would you help me? She said, even if you can't do them all, could you just make? So I stood in there and in the little room, you know how it is in elementary schools, they have a closet mm-hmm. that's been converted into a copy room. So I got in there and I set my purse down and I made copies. And as the copies were going through the machine, I was looking at every single piece of paper. It was all of her mm-hmm. classwork for a whole week. And I realized, I said, you know, the women on the copy committee get to see every piece of paper that every child sees because Mm -hmm. they make the copies. And I I started making friends with those women because I was like, you know, if you ever see anything that you think, she's like, that's why I'm on the copy committee. That's what the lady told me. She's like, I'm on the copy committee because I don't trust them to tell me or put every piece of paper on the website Mm -hmm. for me to look at. So uh, these are things that so if you if you have this organizing bent or you're a leader, your your role, those skills are so much better placed on the PTO, PTA, whatever you guys call mm-hmm. it, the copy committee, the first grade moms, mm-hmm. second grade moms, um, even yeah. on the school board, there's district level committees you can serve on. And then you still have those skills sharp and ready to go into the workforce when your kids are bigger. 
But that neighborhood thing you talked about, coupled with the power of moms in the building, there's nothing like it. You can't replicate it with all the moms at work. Right. It's true. And I think this is another thing that COVID has woken up. So like when the parents are sitting next to the child who's got the computer open and they're like hearing what the teacher's actually saying and seeing the actual curriculum. And some teachers have complained about it. You know, well, we can't have an honest discussion. Really? I mean, (laughs) maybe the discussion that you want to have shouldn't be happening if it can't be had in front of a parent. And I remember one worksheet that came home from my son's, one of his classes. And this was in, I think, sixth grade. So way too young. It it is more appropriate for college level. But basically, they were talking about how the citizens of Germany appreciated Hitler's, um, (laughs) and I'm not even, I can't even, you know, saying it sounds absurd, but there was actually a paper, copied paper that came, whatever. And you had to like write why Hitler's economic policies sounded good to the people of Germany. Sixth graders were supposed to somehow get this nuance. What it came off as is Hitler had good policies, right? Mm. And I was, I wrote back to the teacher, my son will not be doing this assignment. You will not at all affect his grade because he will not be doing this assignment. And I would be happy to have a face-to-face discussion about this because this is not happening. And I question your judgment if you're teaching children who are this age, 12, 11, this. This is ridiculous. But, you know, that kind of thing only happens when the parents are seeing the assignment right there in it and can give feedback. But when moms are distracted and busy and being just a full-time mom is challenging enough, it's hard to do all of that. You know, it's hard to keep track of it and keep protecting your child's mind. So, you know, I hope that public policy support, we hear a lot about good child care and the policy that we're seeing right now, both from like Ivanka Trump and the left, is supporting women with child care, subsidized good child care for all early intervention. So three-year-olds are in school already. What I would like to see is that we support mothers staying at home with their children. And finding a way not to subsidize, obviously, women having, you know, armies of children on welfare dole, but supporting women who choose to stay home with their children up to school age and encouraging that and encouraging American families to have more children and to support that policy-wise. We have a baby bus. We've had a baby bus this last year. The West is having trouble with reproducing, and we're going to have trouble supporting the our aging population because we don't have enough young people. We should be supporting families so that moms have a legitimate choice to stay home with their children. So I'll second that. I will co-sign and also... Um you know, hopefully move this comment to the top. (laughs) 10 out of 10 recommends, as my oldest daughter would say. Um, I just, I agree with you on that because there's something so beautiful and sweet about being able to live your life like that and 
even if you have to cocoon yourself off, like if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, well, I'd love to stay home, but I, you know, I'm going to catch flack from my mom or my aunt or, you know, some relative or someone close to you. You need to cocoon yourself off from those people and make decisions for yourself. And it may feel strange and weird and awkward at first because you're going against the grain, but those kids are worth it. You don't get, you don't get the time back with them. And even though you can spend time with them later, it's the relationship that you're looking for. You build the relationship over time with them when they're smaller, when they're medium-sized, when they're younger, before they hit that age where they realize, oh my gosh, my mom isn't a superhero. She doesn't know everything. She isn't always right. And then they start looking to teachers and their cohorts in school and kind of getting their opinions from every other place. If you have a relationship that's great with them before that happens, then your influence will be that much stronger. And the time you spend crying at night into your pillow when they go off to college will be minimized. So <laughs> you think think about how you can protect yourself from regret, which is actually, you know, I'm a Christian. Regret is a sin. Um, regret is something that we are made to do when we don't realize that, you know, if you do the best you can and you give the rest to God, then you can go to sleep at night. You can experience the different seasons that you're going in and out of without feeling like you missed out. And so it's all about making the choice that is best for you, not what other people think, not what other people are putting their opinions on you. And I see this a lot on social media, on Twitter, the hell side of Twitter, where people are just out there opining about how important it is for women to be independent, have their own checking and savings accounts and their own investments. And, you know, they always do everything for themselves and childbirth and children are not really as important. And then I see people like Kelly Marr, who you, you and I both know her, She's been married for a few years now. She has two small kids and she's completely rearranged her life around doing something that is conducive to raising those kids and living her married life and taking advantage of this time. And it's brilliant and it's perfectly Kelly. And it's also what other women should be doing because we can, because we live in America. We have the option. We have so many more options than women in other countries have. They may have universal preschool and childcare paid for by the government, we have a society that actually allows us to chart our own path. And you can hybridize almost anything nowadays, including working and co-working and sharing responsibilities and doing whatever. And then, you know, end up being the publisher of a major magazine and newspaper like you're doing. I mean, anything is possible here. Well, the thing is, I'm glad that women have the education. I'm making sure my daughter's being educated, just like I am with my son's. However, when I talk to her, and I think this is where things really need to change among women, is she has a hard time even now fathoming the satisfaction of motherhood versus working. And when I've told her the satisfaction of seeing her succeed, seeing my other children succeed, far outstrips any personal achievement I've made, it's difficult for someone who isn't a mother to understand that. But there is something that you don't know. And so women have to be telling other women, unlike Jill Filipovich and some of the other feminists who talk about, I would feel terrible being their child. The way they talk about having children is like it's the worst decision that they made. We need to be telling our children the truth, which is it's the greatest fulfillment I've ever had personally or professionally raising my children. It's and it is challenging. And there are some days that are just thankless and awful. But in the scheme of 
things, it's like the longest investment you ever make. It's the investment for the long haul. And you raise these children and then they become your friends and they grow into great people. And it's a joy that surpasses professional fulfillment. And women are putting it off and then they find out that they love motherhood and then their body simply cannot have as many children as they would have liked. And they put it off because they were told professional work was more important. And it's not true. Well, it's not true. And the work that you're talking about doing with your daughter to help her understand that, that's that's actually hard work too because we our oldest is really driven and she has, you know, charted out a path for herself that involves a lot of education. And there's a possibility that, you know, when you go for advanced education beyond your bachelor's, it can be difficult to balance that with the family. But I also know, you know, I've, I've talked to her enough for her to know that, yeah, that's your plan, but life sometimes gets in the way of your plans. So don't be so married to it that it's devastating if it doesn't work out exactly as you've laid it out on your, you know, Excel spreadsheet or whatever, whatever you're putting things into. Um, I, this is a conversation that people need to have. I'm so glad we were able to have it today. Uh, it's been so long since I've chatted with you. It's great to hear your voice and great to hear how wonderfully everything's going for you. Uh, the publisher of The American Spectator, you can find the link to this article in Politico and also Melissa's piece covering this issue uh, in the show notes of today's podcast. Melissa McKenzie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Stacy. Great to talk to you. Great. All right. It's been a pleasure. I want to tell you guys about one more thing that is also a pleasure for you to be involved in, and that is the Alliance for Shared Health, where you can get into something that does not support abortion or any of the other things that are really repugnant that are a part of our healthcare system right now. So join 40,000 other households in getting into the Alliance for Shared Health. It's a health share ministry. You can share in the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including need sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescription from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, and order lab and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. Open enrollment is now. Don't miss out on the chance to save 50 to 70% on your monthly premiums while making a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to stacyontheright.com. Click the banner ad and sign up now. That's stacyontheright.com. Click the banner ad and start sharing and saving today. The Alliance for Shared Health, changing healthcare and changing lives. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast. Don't forget to follow me on Getter. It's G-E-T-T-R.com. And it's uncensored and unfiltered and there's no algorithm. So you can communicate as much as you want. All right, we'll see you again next time. God bless. God bless.